0: Crime Time Tuesday. Hello, true crime creeps. Welcome back. Uh, I have a new one for you. I've actually heard of this one, I think once, once I started digging into it, I didn't realize it was one that I'd already heard, so I apologize if you've heard it. Though I don't think it's been too overdone. Um, Derek is here with me. Say hi, Derek. Hello. There he is. There's Derek. Um, This one is the Midwest Axe Murders. Um, It takes place in Vallisca, Iowa, June 10th of 1912. So, it starts out with, you know, back then people had lots of kids. Um, So, the morning of June 10th, 1912, uh, the usually bustling Morehouse seems unnaturally still. You know, so, it's 7.30 on a Monday morning. Um, the Moore home, which consisted of Josiah, Joe, Moore, um, everyone called him Joe, Sarah, his wife, and their four kids, Herman, who was 11, Catherine, who was 10, Boyd, who was seven, and Paul, who was five. Um, so yeah, so, so to kind of a nosy neighbor, Mary Peckham, it seemed unnaturally quiet. You know, you think was four kids um on a monday, you know, people are usually off to work, kids are either outside playing or doing chores or i i guess i can't tell you if these kids were homeschooled or if they went to, you know, a schoolhouse back then. Um but yeah, so it just seemed unnaturally naturally quiet. So Mary phones uh Joe's brother Ross at the local pharmacy. He was the local druggist in town. Um and asked him to kind of come and do just like a a welfare check basically. Just come and check it out, see um See, see what's causing the ill, like, what's going on over there? So Ross, he enters the home and realizes that it's awfully quiet. He enters a back bedroom where he sees two cloaked figures. Um, they're, they're cloaked with sheets and bloodstains. So he backs out of the room and ends up calling. And I, 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 like I said, I, I don't know for sure if there just isn't a direct line to the police at this time. Because remember, it's 1912. So I don't know, or if it's just out of panic, he calls Joe. So that Joe is the homeowner. Um, he calls Joe's place of work, which is the hardware store, and he tells an employee, Ed Sully, um, that something terrible has happened, and to fetch the marshal. So Ed Sully gets a hold of Henry Hank Horton, the marshal, and Hank arrives at about 8:30. Hank does a walkthrough of the home, and as he exits, he tells Ross, "Quote, there's somebody murdered in every bed. So, I mean, there's six people living in that house at that time. Right. So, they go through um, the crime scene. Everyone is still in their beds. Everyone has been bludgeoned to death with the, like the." blunt end of an axe. I don't know why, that, why not, I mean, if you're going to use an axe, why not use the axe part? But the axe part was not used on any of the victims, just the blunt end of one. Um, each person um, was still in their beds. They All the drawers in the rooms had been gone through and um, clothes had been pulled out to, to cover the bodies with if sheets weren't available. Also, um, some windows and mirrors um, were also covered, um, which was very strange. The axe was found leaning against, um, a south wall of one of the, one of the downstairs bedrooms, along with, oddly enough, a, like, slab of cut bacon. That's Again, also, odd. yeah, also extremely weird. That was, like, leaning right next to the axe, so those are just leaning up against the wall. Um, it, it appeared that no one had been sexually assaulted um, there were um, since like I said the the, the blunt end of the axe was used and not the sharp end for some reason there were um, above the parents so above Joe and Sarah's bed there were um, like notch marks you know from the the sharp end of the axe hitting the ceiling at that time. So the odd thing, though, was that there were eight bodies found in the home, not six. Um, So now they want to kind of do a walkthrough of, like, what happened the night before. Like, what, you know, led up to this murder. So between friends and family and townspeople, they've um, kind of pieced together the night before. So the night before was a Sunday. So the family um, was at church. They actually had a children's day service that day. Um, It was the end of the year, kind of like last, um, I don't know, last, last, I don't know what you want to call it, last thing that the kids get to perform. So it was kind of a big deal. And Sarah, the wife and mother, she kind of co-directed this thing. So the littler kids got to like do speeches and perform hymns. Um, It was said that, you know, afterwards there was a lot of mingling between all the churchgoers and the children. Um, They ended up leaving at around 9.30, um, after they had some cookies, um, and went home around 9.30 p.m. that night. And it was a cold, kind of, you know, rainy, just not very nice night. But they, they only lived about three blocks away, so they're not far from their destination. Um, so that was kind of their night. They had all been seen leaving together. The reason there were eight bodies was because that night, specifically, two of the neighbor girls had requested that they spend the night. So, not only was... Joe, Sarah, and their four children, but also the two neighbor girls, Lena and Ina Stillinger, um, were also murdered. Now, Mm. I had said that nobody was sexually assaulted. Um, the one neighbor girl, Lena, so I think she was 12 and Ina was 8. So, Lena, 12, it almost appeared as if she had been, because her, like, nightgown had been pulled up, um, but upon, like... I don't know if they did an autopsy or just an evaluation of the bodies. She was, they discovered that she was not. So it was just made to kind of appear that way. Um, So that was kind of, I just, I found that kind of interesting. Like all the different pieces, um, you know, there was a lot of weird little intricate pieces. Oh, another thing that was also weird was that there was a plate of uneaten food at their table. And also a bowl of bloody water. So... I don't know what the heck is going on here. And another thing that I find interesting, too, is that with that many people in the house, how are they bludgeoned to death with no real, like, defensive wounds? I think only the one Lena, the neighbor girl, I believe she was the only one who had defensive wounds on her. So that tells me that, like, they were all heavily asleep. Like, I don't know how, how that many people in a house... Could go and be murdered without alerting somehow, screaming, yelling, something. Just the sound, I would imagine, of an axe hitting bone and the ceiling too. You know, like if the parent, it, hypothetically, if the parents were killed first, you know, hitting the ceiling like with the sharp end of the axe. Like, how did no one wake up to this or be alerted?
1: I you can't know? imagine unless they. When he hit him, he hit him so hard that they. Were incapacitated and
0: true. Okay, okay, but dead. but hear me out here. So, just hypothetically, because I, you know, back then there probably wasn't a real uh, good way to tell like who was killed first in such a short period of time. So, say he goes after Joe and Sarah first, just because they're his biggest threat or her biggest threat. Whoever whoever's doing this, that that's the biggest threat right now. Be the person who would be able to stop this person. He goes in there. He bludgeons them. So each person was actually struck 20 to 30 times. Hmm. So if he's striking someone, you'd assume that, say he hits Joe first. You'd assume that Sarah would wake up and, like, try to fight, try to do something. Because she's laying in bed next to her husband. And then along, same with the kids, too. Like, some of them have shared beds... And are in the same room as other children. So why is only one of them have defensive wounds on them? And only one of them appears to have had any sort of real struggle with this person. Were they somehow drugged? Were they, like what, like how did everyone, eight people on that house, either that tells me that there were multiple people killing them, or somehow they were somehow incapacitated to, to keep, still through that.
1: Yeah, it seems weird unless they, you know, unless they were all shot first or something. Right, like something
0: quickly. Something done quick. But that's not the case. They all had the same wounds on them, you know? So I just have to wonder, like, what what and why, you know? Because, like, for me, for example, like, I wake up at the first sign of any sort of noise and the kids sleep downstairs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like... I just can't imagine something happening and me not waking up to even something minor happening, like the kid tripping on a step step, or I don't even know what, you know. So I just don't get how a house with eight people in it, there's like really no other wounds or sense of struggle going on. That really just kind of blows my mind.
1: Yeah, it seems very odd. I mean, I would be looking for... I don't know. It d- doesn't match what, how
0: they're killed. Right. It just doesn't seem, I don't know. It just seems strange that all this happened in one night. Cause I mean, that takes a lot of strength too. That's 20 to 30 blows times eight. Like that's a lot
1: to be really pissed or really pissed or
0: strong or psychotic. Or I mean, you got the will of something behind you to, to, to commit an act like this. You know, like, I mean, you really have to want these people gone or something. Or, or I don't, I, I just, I, it just blows my mind. I don't.
1: Where was this know. at? What state? Like, this is
0: Villisca, Iowa. In Iowa. Right. Huh. So this is another small town, you know, so I get like neighbors not hearing. I understand that. I don't understand how a house full, because you also have to imagine, I'll actually post pictures on the Instagram. The house wasn't that big. It actually really resembles the house that I grew up in, my kind of scary, skeletor, old-fashioned house. It, a lot looks like that, which, if it is like that on the inside as well, the rooms are small, the stairways are really narrow, like, you can hear everything in that house. Every creak, every, every sound, you know, like, you can hear a whisper from, you know, the complete opposite end and, level of the house so to me that part just doesn't make a lot of sense like how anyone could sleep through that you know and like I said especially back in the early 1900s I can't imagine that each kid had their own room and if they're having a sleepover I also imagine that you know there's multiple kids in one room and only one had defensive marks only one had like a sense of struggle that just doesn't seem likely to me you know, unless somehow, some way, something else happened. Like, perhaps they were drugged. Were those cookies they had at church drugged? Who knows what, you know? Did they somehow get chloroformed first? You know, did he walk or did this person walk around the house and chloroform them all first? Like, how? what, you know, what? what happened? It just doesn't make sense that they all were bludgeoned severely and only one had sign of struggle at all and defensive wounds. It makes no sense. And then this weird fucker has, like, the audacity to go like cook food in their house. That's been that's and happened a lot of it.
1: times in murders, though. That that's like.
0: Well, I suppose they're fucking famished after exerting themselves that way.
1: There's that one case of that guy that killed some lady or something, and then, um, he made a sandwich afterwards. And the way they caught him was, uh, he left an imprint of his shoe in the piece of bread. No, oh
0: yeah, that wasn't... Or his foot. It was his bare foot and a piece of of bread. It wasn't even bread, it was hamburger buns.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't remember why he had picked up hamburger buns for something and spilled them everywhere and then he stepped on it. Because yeah, he went to eat some of them, but he spilled the rest of them on the floor and then he stepped on it and they found his footprint and they could even tell like ridge detail and everything. Yeah.
1: Crazy. Which, you know, so yeah, it's weird, but someone who's going to commit a huge murder. Right. I mean... Well, the house is empty now, so obviously you yeah, can do I whatever mean, like, you want who now. Who
0: cares, you know, at that point. And so, I yeah,
1: see- it's weird, but also it, it's not unprecedented and whatever.
0: I mean, I guess what I goes mean, through the right.
1: mind of a psychopath.
0: So now this is kind of where it takes a little bit of a turn. So they didn't really have, at this moment, they didn't really have anything to go off of as far as a suspect. However. It gets a little bit interesting because at 5.19 a.m. a number five westbound train is leaving Villisca. And on that train is Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. Um, so he is a reverend who's kind of done ser- ser- uh, sermons and services at Methodist churches um, from like South Dakota, uh, Minnesota, Kansas, Iowa. He's kind of traveled all over. However, he's got a very interesting past. Um, he's actually been, like, committed to a mental institution before. He's been convicted of um, just inappropriate, obscene kind of uh, materials that had been mailed out by him. And he also, that morning on the train, had been telling people that he had to leave Veliska because eight souls... We're now going to heaven. And so 5.19 in the morning, that's before these bodies are even discovered. No one, no one at this point even knows yeah. that there's deaths, let alone eight deaths in Villisca. Hmm. So he actually travels back to Velisca, which, whatever. I mean, if I'm going to go around saying stuff like this, I guess I will not be going back. But he does something really odd. He actually, like... Poses as an investigator and like joins the investigative team. So how is that possible? Well, again, it's 1912, so I'm sure like credentials weren't really like.
1: Well, yeah, there's no system. Thing. There's yeah, like no, there's no
0: thing. So I'm assuming I mean, they didn't like, even
1: have proper identification until like, right the 50s or something. Or I don't. You know, everything was just totally. You just say who you are and then right. they just believe you because but like there's no the way to
0: the But the fucking nerve of this guy would be like, oh yeah, I'm an investigator, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But mind you, he'd already been seen and he actually was at that church service that I talked about that Sunday.
1: So he wasn't like preaching at that church? No. That he, just he was went just went like the visiting
0: church. there. Like he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't doing a service or anything. He actually showed up, I think it was either the Sunday morning yeah so I think it was that Sunday morning like before that church service that I talked about that the Moore family was at he actually like showed up in Villisca on this day joined this church service and left Monday morning like what the fuck right there it's that's already odd. weird um so anyways eventually people are catching on because they did see him at this thing they're like he's not a investigator like that's yeah like that's not what he does he's
1: he was just at church the other right. day and like no one knows who the hell he is. He's actually,
0: like, a pastor. Like, what the heck, you know, is going on, whatever. Um, So, pe- by this point, so it's about a week, week and a half or so into kind of the investigation thing. And people are starting to, like, figure it out a little bit. Um, He does end up going to trial, but he ends up getting acquitted. So, he actually, at first... Um, It's like 11 to 1, and I think they needed like a 12-person vote to send him away, but it was 11 to 1, so he didn't. So they got a new panel in there, and that panel actually acquitted him. So these murders have actually never been technically solved. Though, I have to wonder, like, come on. How did
1: he come to be arrested and tried
0: there really isn't a lot of information on that. I honestly think that people just started to catch on and piece it together. Like, he's not an investigator. What are you talking about? He's a minister, or, or excuse me, a pastor. And he was there that night. They started to piece it together. And then the fact that he left, and they did have witnesses, like, from that train ride that said what he was talking about. So unless, you know, multiple people are lying, which does happen. Yeah. You know, just for, I don't know what because. and Or
1: just misremembered mis- Yeah, there is
0: a lot of misremembered like eyewitness counts and stuff like that but there's also um, like just people want fame almost. They want to be a part of the excitement and the hustle and bustle and whatever. So people will just kind of lie about that stuff which is really stupid but it does happen. So I mean it's possible like maybe this guy had absolutely nothing to do with it. But by all accounts, and especially like the weird stuff that happened after the murders, like the food and the the weird slab of bacon with the axe and, and all this stuff, that to me sounds like someone who's crazy, which he was in a mental institution. And he did at some one point too, this is eventually in part of the investigation, he did admit and give a statement saying that like basically God whispered to, whispered to him that they needed to be called home. And that's why he did it. However, he did recant that. um, So I don't know if they could use that in trial or not, if he recanted it or not. I'm not really sure how that works. And I especially don't know how it works in 1912. So there's a lot of signs and just a lot of not good stuff adding up for this guy. But um, with a little bit more digging, it seems like there are a lot of other axe murders along that, like, train route, like, from Colorado to here. Mm-hmm. So people are wondering, like, A, are they related? Um, And, like, from, I think it was, like, a year span, like, 1911 to 1912, there was kind of a, a year span of axe murders kind of along, like, towns along this train route. So, th- and we already know that this guy hopped trains to... Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota. I didn't see anywhere that specified that he was in Colorado, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't.
1: You know who this sounds like to me? Hmm. Uh That other crazy guy who was hopping trains and killing people all the time. Carl Panzram.
0: But that's not the same time frame, I don't think.
1: I think it is around that same time frame.
0: I thought he was more like in like the mid, mid-1900s, I thought. No,
1: it's like 1890 up until like 19... 19- Twenty or something.
0: I mean, it's if if it's he the, was
1: stayed at the the Minnesota Boys Prison there. And yeah,
0: here in Red Wing, which the, is like really two minutes from us. So yeah,
1: Carl pa- Panzram did, and that that was his mo. He would hop the train. Yep. Uh, that he had like some motto, like rob him.
0: It was like rob him, rape him, and
1: rob him, rape him, kill him.
0: Yeah, something weird like that. But
1: he transfer uh, killed mostly on the train route.
0: But then again, like why? Weren't any of these people raped then? Yeah,
1: and he actually mostly didn't. He didn't really. He mostly just he didn't really mess men. with children.
0: He, yeah, he, yeah,
1: because he, he, he hated everyone.
0: Yeah, Carl Panzram. He mainly was awful to men. He would, on occasion, hurt a woman if he felt it was justified. However, he did beat his own wife, which is really weird. Maybe I'll do an episode on Carl Panzram sometime because that is a crazy fucking case. Like it's insane. Plus, it's interesting that he was in the boys' home, which is, like, ten minutes from us. Right. So I could get pictures of that easily, and he actually burned down one of the things. But anyway, back to this. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. It is obviously possible. But they have a guy that basically has admitted to that, though recanted it. He's been in a psych ward. He has traveled that train route. Like, I mean, a lot of things add up. But one thing that I'm curious about and I wonder about is, like, why was he acquitted? What, what evidence did they have against him that, you know, made them think, no, he didn't do it. Especially since he did say and, and give a statement that he did it. You know? To have that, because they, so there was two, technically two separate things. One was a 12 panel of people who, a jury basically, who, you know, it was 11 to 1. They kind of deadlocked with that and couldn't get over it. So they brought in a new panel and then, then he was acquitted. So... Both times was basically nope, he didn't do it. Why though? So that's basically 24 people well, right there who say if no. If
1: he left the axe sitting there, I'm not sure if they had fingerprints in 1912.
0: I highly, highly doubt it. When did it they even, come up
1: with fingerprints? It, it wasn't.
0: It probably was later than that. I mean, they might have been able to like take a fingerprint, but to like actually do something with it, I'm guessing not much if they could. Well, you know,
1: you know that's what the only thing I could think of that they could do. Mm-hmm. it was you know if they had the axe there they got the guy if they maybe they could pull prints off it and if it's not him it's I'm not guessing
0: him. back then they didn't have anything like that but maybe there just wasn't enough on him specifically like maybe you know he didn't have any bloody clothes he didn't have any whatever there was no like bloody shoe prints that matched his you know what i mean like there was because yeah. m- from the sounds of the crime scene there really wasn't much to go off of other than it was bizarre You know, windows, mirrors are covered. All the bodies are covered with clothes or sheets. Like, that's all weird. But there's really nothing saying anything about any person, whether it was man, woman, or multiples. So maybe they're just like, look, we understand this is all damning. But there's really nothing in the crime scene that says, yep, it was a man. It was you know, one person versus multiple people, like, whatever. And they maybe they had the same questions I do. Like, how do you kill a house full of eight people and not, you know, wake everybody up? Yeah. And to me, that would more fit the lines of multiple people doing it. Like, you take this room, I'll take this room, blah, blah, blah. You take that room, you know? Yeah. And, like, one, two, three this shit or something, you know? I just don't know how you could do that. So it's an interesting one for sure, and I'll post uh pictures of the victims and some of the graves in the house they lived in um on our Instagram on Crime Time Tuesday, so
1: Very strange. Very strange Another strange occurrence in the Midwest, which there's no shortage of Midwest maniacs from what I've <laughs> discovered.
0: As we're learning, yes. I you mean, always think uh, it can't happen close to home.
1: In, uh,
0: Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm sure there's I'm plenty sure of those. there's
1: more. Now I'm blanking that. I, actually, after I said that, now I'm blanking all the other names from...
0: Yeah, there's legit tons of them, too. And not just, you know, infamous ones. There's tons of, like, crazy-ass no-name ones, too, that people just haven't looked into a lot either, you know? Yeah. So, it's interesting, for sure. But... Yeah, if there's a case that you really want to hear or anything like that, feel free to email us at dtdimension at protonmail dot com. You can visit the website at doublethoughtdimension.com dot com. Babe, what you got?
1: Uh, go to the Instagram, Instagram Crime Time Tuesday on Instagram. Look at the photos from uh, all the case, all the cases, uh, including this one, and just head to doublethoughtdimension.com dot uh, com. You can find our donation button are my random blog posts that I post all the time and uh, any other information that you might find interesting at doublethoughtdimension.com. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Peace out. Crime Time Tuesday.